week two of our relationship series and we're talking about, we're talking about relationships in, in this series. Mike kicked it off uh, last week. If you missed it, man, I'd love for you to go online and check it out. It was an incredible, incredible message. And, and he talked about, he talked about love, right? You kicked it off, you, you think about that and we're talking about relationships. I'm, I'm sure the love part's gonna come in there. It's, it's an essential part to having healthy relationships, isn't it? And it would have been real easy for Mike if he had just kind of started talking about something light and, and, and fluffy, right? Like, like loving puppies or, or something like that. That would have been awesome, but um, that's not what he challenged us to do. He, he went straight to a, a very hard passage that says that we need to love our enemies, right? We need to love those people in our lives, the ones that are, are difficult to love. And how many of you, if you were here last week, how many of you had an encounter with one of those people last after this past week? Yeah, many of us, right? God's got this crazy sense of humor that when he teaches us things, he, he, makes, us, um, he makes us live it out and, and put it into practice. And, um, and that's cool. I had several conversations with people last week after services that, that were really wrestling with what does this look like? How do I put this into practice and into play in my life? How do I love those people that are difficult to love? And I love that we get to be a part of a church where we can be open with our, our struggles and we can be honest with those things and that we can come alongside and, and, and encourage each other and challenge each other and, and talk about what does that look like? What does it mean? How do we love people that in our lives are, are difficult to love? Because let's be real. We all do it, right? We all, we make opinions about people. We have opinions. We, we make judgments about people. We do it all the time. In fact, I'm, I'm gonna test you right now. You know that I love to do this because it's just fun for me. All right, I'm gonna show you some pictures. Don't put your hands up. Don't say anything out loud. That's for your sake. You would be maybe embarrassed at some of these. All right, here we go. Here's the first picture, right? <laughs> Uh -huh. Yeah, some of you are like, oh, there's a couple maybe of like, ooh, right? The Beebs, but most of you are like, eh, not, not the Beebs, right? You're just like, there's a, a third group of you out there that you're like, I don't, I don't even know who that is. I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure who that is. Should I like him or not? I don't know. All right, let's try another one. Let's try another one. All right, LeBron, right? For some of you, you're like, oh, greatest basketball player ever, right? He's better than Michael and you can prove it because you got the stats and all the things. And others of you are like, no, terrible, right? He's not even the best in the league right now. We could put up any athlete up there, right? And there would be quick judgments. There would be all kinds of different opinions on whether they're good or not good or parts of their character. All right, let's try, let's try another one. All right, right, and then Will Ferrell, some of you guys are like hilarious, right? I love Will Ferrell. Some of you are, are more like my wife and you're like, he's disgusting, right? I don't, I don't, like, I don't like his movies. Right? All I have to say is, is stay classy, Hope, just stay classy, All right? And, and so Will Ferrell, okay, here's one more, one more, right? A big one, like 20 years ago, right? Many of us watched the trials. We went through this whole experience. There's been a whole documentary, a new series that was just out. So for many that were younger, they've just, they're reliving it or living it for the very first time, right? And I've talked with people that absolutely believe OJ was innocent. And, and there's a lot of people that, that no matter, even though he was acquitted, right, believe he was guilty. There's all kinds of different opinions and judgments. All right, let's try a couple more that are a little more fun. Let's try this one. There you go. All right. Now you see that. Now women, I know what you guys are thinking, right? You're, you're already made a judgment. You're like, if he would only ask for directions, right? I tell him all the time, if he would just ask for directions, this never would have happened. So you're already making an assumption that it was, it was the guy, right? That it was his fault that he, he put the car in, in, the, in the pool. Men, you guys, what, what did you assume, right? <laughs> you assume like, well, who did you? Actually, I'm not even going to go there, right? I'm not even going to. I just thought it was carpooling. I thought that's what that meant when I, when I saw it. Sorry, that was just a bad dad joke there. I didn't, I don't even know. But every parent, every parent in the room, like they're just blaming the kid, right? They're just like, it was the kid's fault. I don't even care if the kid was driving. It was, they distracted me or something. It was the kid's fault. All right, let's try this one. Let's see what judgments you make about that. 
if you went straight to NASCAR, then you judge that all you want, right? You have the right to judge. Anything that involves redneck watching people drive in circles, that deserves to be judged. I, I feel like that's, that's just, that's terrible right there. All right, we have a couple more, a couple more. Okay, now. This is it's just, a, it's just a hair picture. That's all that is. I just thought it was very interesting how the hairstyles kind of match. Right? I, who am I to judge though, right? I mean, I, I can't, I, I have no right to judge on, on that one. Some of you are like, Donnie, that's not fair. That's not a fair comparison for the monkey, right? That's just not, that's not right. Okay, but to keep it fair, keep it fair. We got one more, one more. Let's put that one up there. It's just a fashion statement, people. I'm just, it's a fashion picture. You judge who wears it better. I don't know. I'm not sure which, which one does. See, you people are so quick to judge. You really are. You're just a bunch of sinners out there. It's, it's crazy, right? When, when those things come to mind, though, you see these pictures, right? What are the things that, that come to your mind? How many, of you, how many of you are not proud of some of the thoughts that, that came to your mind? Some of us, maybe. Some, how many of you were proud of the things that you came to mind, but you probably shouldn't be? Yeah, there, there's a bunch. This message is for you today, so pay attention. Uh, right? We, we do this all the time. We're quick to judge, even though we don't know those people, right? We, we see parts, we see snapshots, we hear things, we read articles, but we're so quick to judge sometimes, even without knowing the person. We all do it. We judge people all the time based on, on the way that they act, right? Because they act different than I do, or they talk different than I do because they drive different or they dress differently. Maybe it's because they, they think differently than I do. Their skin is a different color. Their culture is different than my culture. Their sexual choices are, are different than mine. Their values are different. Their beliefs are different. See, we all have people in our lives that are, are tough to love. Some of them we spend a lot of time with, right? Whether it's our, our spouses, the people that we're married to, or our kids, the ones that we gave birth to. Maybe it's the people that we work with and, and maybe it's, it's consequences or you hired them. You've, you've got to work with them now or maybe you didn't have a choice. It's just the partnerships that, that have happened. Maybe it's the, the people that you sit in class with. Some of us, it, we judge just based on a snapshot of people, don't we? We form opinions so quickly of the person that, that we stand in line behind, right? We listen to their stories and we see the things that they're purchasing and automatically we make judgments about them. Maybe it's the people that we live next to and we see how they act or the way that they, the, the cars that they have or the way that they take care of their house and all of a sudden we make judgments about them too. We do it all the time. See, the, the truth though is that, that every person here, every person that you work with, every one of your neighbors, right, that God makes them acceptable and respectable. And it has nothing to do with their behavior. It has, has nothing to do with their, their character. It's because of, of, of something that's true of every single person who walks on this planet. And that's what we're going to talk about this weekend. We're going to talk about those people in our lives that are tough to love. Mike asked us a question last week, and it was this. Who's the person in your life that you have the most difficult time getting along with? Is it your fiancé who cheated on you? A spouse that deserted you? Is it a, a parent that abandoned you? Is it a business partner that ripped you off? Is it, is it someone in your life that abused you? Is it a friend that gossiped about you? See, God hasn't called us to treat people the way that other people treat us. God has called us to treat people the way that he has treated us. Last weekend, the, the conversation was, who is that person in your life? And, and for many of you, if you were here, you identified that person. That person came to your mind very, very quickly and you knew who it was. And then Mike challenged us to not be hypocrites in the way that we live our lives. 
You see, so many turn their backs on Jesus, not because of Jesus himself, but because of the ways that we represent and live out our relationship with Jesus. We tell them that God loves them unconditionally, but then as followers of Jesus, we love conditionally. And people see that and, and, and say, there's something different about that. If that's what this whole following Jesus thing is about, I don't want anything to do with it. See, God loved us unconditionally, and he's calling us to do the exact same in the lives of other people. See, we're a part of a church, aren't we? And, and a church isn't just a building, right? It's not a, this isn't the church. This is the church. It's, it's a group of people. It's a collection. It's a gathering of people that come together in the same place. And our mission as a church is to love people where they are and to encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. If this is our church, if this is our mission as a church, then we need to own this and live it out. And this weekend, we're going to talk about not just the who, but how do we start loving people where they are. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to John chapter 8. And if you don't, that's okay. We're going to put it up on the side screens and, and you can follow along. But today we're going to take a look at, at the person of Jesus. And what we're going to find in this is a snapshot that, that gives us a picture into the character of God. You see, when you study who Jesus is, you can't study who Jesus is without understanding what God is like. Now, for some of us today, as we sit here, some of us kind of see our, our view of God is that God is like a, like a judge or, or God is, is kind of like a, a cop. And what we're going to find out today in, in the event of the woman that we're going to read about in, in this story, who was caught in the act, who was obviously guilty, that Jesus plays a very, very different role in this story. He plays the role of savior. He plays the role of friend. He accepts us, which is absolutely the character of God. See, if you believe that God is kind of like a judge or you believe that God is kind of like a, a cop, what you want to do is you want to distance yourself from God. But if you believe that God loves you, that he wants to accept you, that he wants to have a relationship with you, a friendship with you, that he wants to be your savior, then you want to embrace that kind of God. See, there, there's no question that lives were changed by Jesus Christ. Our world has been radically shaped by him. Even history is formed by before Jesus' death and, and after Jesus' death. The lady that we're going to take a look at this week in, in this story, she didn't pursue Jesus. In every other story, right, we see people who were constantly pursuing Jesus, pursuing Jesus, pursuing Jesus. She didn't pursue him. She was pushed to him. And for some of us today, as, as we sit here, maybe you feel like you're pushed to be here. Maybe you were made to, to come by your parent and, and you were forced to be here today. Maybe it was by a friend who just kept asking over and over and over, will you come to my church? Will you come to my church? I'll take you out and buy you food afterwards. And you're like, ah, oh, free meal, right? Okay. For some of us, some of the guys in here, you're here because you're interested in a girl. And this week she said, do you go to church? And you looked at her and said, I do now, right? <laughs> and you're here, right? As a result, whatever your reason is for being here, you might have something in common with the co-star of this event. John chapter eight, beginning at verse one, it says this. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. See, one of the amazing things about Jesus in, in the Bible is everywhere Jesus went, right? There's this crowd of people that always follows him. People liked Jesus. Even people that weren't like Jesus liked Jesus. And as you read the Bible, you see that Jesus taught these people and, and time and time again, they're amazed by the things that he shares. He's, they're amazed by the way that he lives his life. And so picture Jesus right now as he's sitting inside of the temple and there's this crowd gathered around him as he begins to teach. 
Here's what it says in verse three. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Imagine Jesus here teaching in front of this crowd that's gathered around him. And all of a sudden the religious leaders and the Pharisees, they, they bring in this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. See, what you need to know is that the, the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees, although you might think that Jesus is religious, they were not fond of Jesus because he was teaching things that were contradictory, radically, radically different than the things that they taught, the things that they believed. See, it was their dream, it was their hope that they could get Jesus out of the picture somehow. But they had nothing to accuse him of. With, with Jesus being God and all and, and being perfect, it was hard to find faults in someone that, that's perfect. And so they, they try to set up this trap here. And that's really what this, what this story is all about. It's, it's what's happening in this. And they bring this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. Now, every time I read this story, and I remember all the way even back into high school reading it, right? And thinking to myself, why did they just bring the woman? Like, unless ancient adultery is, is different than it is today, it pretty much takes two, right, to be a part of, of this. So where's, where's the guy? Is, is he, like, sleeping in? Is he, is he reading the Mount Olive Tribune right now? Uh, he heard the camels barking when the guys came by this morning, and so he snuck out the back door? Like, what, what's happening in this? It doesn't tell us what happened to the guy, but it reveals the intentions of these leaders that brought this woman to Jesus. You see, these religious leaders, they, they weren't concerned about the woman at all. It was just bait for a bigger fish. It was a means to an end. Their whole goal was to trap Jesus. They weren't concerned about justice or they would have brought the man to. They were just simply concerned with trapping Jesus in this moment. They show their judgment of all three people, don't they? They show their judgment of this woman that they, they don't care about her pain. They don't care about her humiliation. They have no desire to care for her or to help her or to restore her through this. They show judgment of the man. They, they judge that he wouldn't be of any use to them in terms of trapping Jesus. In fact, some people may even think that, that they maybe even have used that man to set up the woman so that now they had a woman to try and trap Jesus in this scenario. Whatever happened, they, they let him go. But they've judged Jesus as well. They despised him. And so now they set out to discredit him. They set out to disprove him. Look what it says in, in verse four. So they made her stand before that group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Now, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a, a basis for accusing him. So they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. If Jesus says, no, don't stone her, then he, he violates the Mosaic law, which would have created this, this crazy uprising, right? Don't follow Jesus because he, he doesn't even believe what Moses taught us. But if he says, yes, go ahead and stone her, then he's violating the Roman law. See, the Jews were not allowed to carry out a stoning or any form of execution in Roman jurisdiction. So they were forcing Jesus into one of two options. If yes, stone her, he loses. If no, don't stone her, he loses. And so the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they gotta be thinking to themselves, we've got him, right? We did it. They're high-fiving each other. They're like, this is the best trap ever. This is finally going to work. There's no way out of this for him. And the onlookers, those in the crowd that are watching this go down, right? They're thinking there's gonna be a stoning today. 
Now, working with 20 years with high school students, uh, we always had to make sure that they understood that when we talk about stoning here, it, it, it's not weed, it's rocks that they're talking about. And so just in case any of you were, were unsure too, that's what was happening right here, right? And so they start digging into their backpacks and they're looking for their best boulders, right? Because this, like, this is like an event back in the day, right? This is like their version of dodgeball. This is like, this is fantastic. And so they're into like, they've got these good stoning rocks. When you find them, you, you put it in your backpack or in your briefcase and you carry that with you. Kind of like when we're at the lake, right? If you find a good skipping stone, you pick it up and kind of throw it across the lake. Well, for them, it's a good stoning rock. And so they're reaching into their backpacks and they're like, Jesus, you just say the word, right? I'm ready to toss this thing. I'm going to throw out the first pitch today. This is going to be exciting stuff. Look what happens. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. How's that for a reaction? Imagine the drama, right? Of all of these people that are yelling, they're, they're getting their rocks out. This poor woman who's probably naked, huddled down beside Jesus, crying, feeling helpless, feeling completely hopeless, fully exposed in front of all of these people. And Jesus bends down and he begins to write in the dust. The Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote. Maybe it was a list of things that he was planning on doing the rest of that day. And now that this is happening, he just didn't want to forget what those things were. Maybe he's just writing the Ten Commandments. Maybe he's writing the names of the accusers that are standing around her. I wonder if he started writing sins in the dust and then drawing arrows and pointing them out at the people in the crowd. We don't know. And while we're left with questions about what he wrote, what he says is absolutely vital. Look at verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. So notice that Jesus refused to step into the role of judge. These guys tried to, to set a trap. They, they didn't count on the fact that Jesus was gonna put people before practices. They didn't understand that the central theme to Jesus' teaching was to love one another, not law one another. What a brilliant response that, that breaks up this dilemma. He didn't say that what she was doing was right. Jesus accepts her, even though he doesn't approve of what she did. He says, go ahead and stone her, but let the line form behind the people that are without sin. Cliff Notes version is this, is that Jesus says, I will not judge her sin. That's not why I'm here. Am I capable to judge her? Absolutely, yes. But am I willing to? No. So what would you do? What would you do if you're in that crowd, right? You've got a, a rock in hand because he said, go ahead and, and stone her. But, but then he, he throws in that little caveat, right? If you have never sinned, then you get to, you get to go first. How would you respond? So I have to believe that, that 2,000 years ago that, that they knew internally, right? That they knew intrinsically that they had done something wrong, that, that, that nobody has lived a, a perfect life without error. Nobody is without sin, that no one lives without making a mistake except for Jesus. If I was to say to you today, those of you who have never, ever made a mistake, right? You get to stay in this room. The, the rest of you need to leave. How many of you would need to leave? The place would be totally empty, right? I'd, I'd be here all by myself. Bunch of sinners out there. You got that. That was good. Uh, all right, verse eight. Verse eight. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Again, we don't know what he wrote. We don't know why he's doing this. 
It doesn't say, but maybe it wasn't to, so that, maybe it was so that he didn't make eye contact with her accusers. Maybe it was the whole idea of not adding any more shame or guilt than this crowd is now already feeling. See, it's a good thing that, that I wasn't Jesus. Because if I was Jesus, I'd say, oh, you, you want to accuse her? Is that, is that what you want to do? Because remember, Jesus is 100% God and, and 100% man, right? So he knows everything about everyone that's out there. I just started pointing things out. Hey, Steve, what, what, about, what are you doing with uh, Jones's wife over there, buddy? What do you even know about that? Sarah, right? Well, I heard what you said about Rachel behind her back last week. Brian, did you report everything on your taxes this year? Michelle, you backed into Amanda's camel right before coming in here and didn't put a note on it or anything. Mark, you're a, you're a Virginia Tech fan. That's clearly a sin, right? <laughs> I mean, I started having PowerPoint presentations. I'd have been like Oprah, like you committed a sin, you committed a sin, you committed a sin, right? Like I would have gone full out, but we look at Jesus here and, it, and he says that he doesn't do any of that. He stoops down and he writes in the dust. And maybe he was thinking of God's original plan for this woman. Maybe he's writing in the dust the day that she was born in the place that she was born. Maybe the very first time that she rode her bike. Maybe he's writing about her future family, the names of her kids, a life filled with love and intimacy and joy and right relationships. See, this is the exact same thing that God wants for us today. He wants us to have love. He wants us to understand intimacy in our relationships, to, to find joy in our lives, to live in right relationship with God and with each other. Verse nine, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So by walking away, they're all admitting their own sin. And I've got to imagine those religious leaders, right? Those Pharisees, as they're, as they're walking away, they're, they're shaking their heads thinking, I thought this was gonna work. In verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now, this is a little tough to understand if you don't know the Bible real well. This phrase, woman, is the same term that Jesus used to, to refer to his mother in John chapter two. It's actually a term of, of affection. He wasn't being rude. He didn't stand up for her publicly and then, and then turn on her privately, right? The Pharisees chose her because this woman had no rights in their eyes, but Jesus addresses her with dignity and with respect. He said, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you. And she says this in verse 11, no one, sir, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus was the only guy who could pronounce her not guilty because he knew he was the, the one, the only one that was going to go to the cross and take her sins, take all of our sins upon himself. Go now and leave your life of sin. What an incredible phrase, right? I love what's implicated in that. It's a picture of acceptance. It's a, a picture of forgiveness. It's a picture of, of freedom for this woman. It's so central to who God is and to his character. Go now and leave your life of sin. He accepts this woman without approving of her sin. He doesn't bring up the act. He doesn't start talking to her about adultery. He doesn't bring up a, a list of all of the things that she's done wrong. We know in the Bible, it says clearly that God hates sin, but he so deeply, deeply, deeply loves sinners. See, he focuses on her future. Leave your life of sin. Leave it behind you. He, he doesn't just free her from the Pharisees, but he frees her from her sin. No lecture, 
No guilt, no shame. It's a picture of love and, and forgiveness. I accept you as you are. I've forgiven you. Now go and act like it. I'll not give up on you. I value your life. You mean something so significant for me. Don't let it end here. Don't let it end here just with this lesson because you matter to me. See, I think there's some, a few lessons that come out of this, this story that, that apply to our lives and help us in, in, in what it means to accept and to love people where they are. Here's the first takeaway. First is this, is everyone is created in God's image. Every single one of us. See, every person on this planet, regardless of their, their character or their behavior, has something unique about them that makes them acceptable and respectable. And I'm convinced that this one basic principle if we were to get this, if we were to own this and make this part of our lives as individuals and together as a church, it would change the way that we relate to every single person in our lives. Genesis 1:27 says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Not just some of God's creation, and not just the pretty ones or the talented ones, not just the ones that live in, in apex, but all humans are made in God's image. The point is this, every person that has ever lived, every person that, has, that will ever live was created by God, was created in his image, has God's signature, has God's thumbprint all over his or her life. Every person is God's prized creation. 1 John chapter 4 says this, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. See, we're made in the image of God. We're made in his likeness. That's true of every person that's here this weekend. It's true of every person that you will ever meet in your life. God loves us, all of us. And the incredible part is that, that he went first. He didn't wait till we were approvable. He didn't wait till we got our lives all figured out and together. He loved us first. What a powerful, powerful thing. You see, every time we are critical of someone, every time we put someone down, every time we slander, every time we gossip, what we're doing is we're messing with someone that has God's signature all over their lives. Someone that he desperately, desperately loves. And I'll warn you, God takes that personally. He gets offended by that because he sees something of himself in every single person. And when we understand this, when we understand that the people that serve us, that have no names to us, right, but, but they, they just come along and serve us, all of a sudden they start to come into focus. Our ex-husband or ex-wife starts to come into focus. That child who's gone wild in our lives and it feels like they've, they've lost their mind, right, they start to come into focus. That guy or girl at work or, or that's in the major that you have at school, that neighbor who thinks that you're crazy for being so religious, that boss or business partner that wants you to cut corners at work, all of a sudden, all of us are in one big bucket together because everyone matters to God. And so when we insult someone's weaknesses, we're insulting God's plan. When we judge someone's actions, we're judging God's creation. When we make assumptions about people, we tell God, God, I, I think I know better than you do about this person. See, the point is this, is, is that behavior doesn't matter. 
Character doesn't matter. Intentions don't matter. Color of skin doesn't matter. Sexual orientation doesn't matter in this case because suddenly we're all in one big bucket and we're a bunch of people that bear God's signature. And that means that we have value, that we have significance, that we're acceptable based on nothing that we do, nothing that we will ever be able to do simply because we bear the image of God. But here's the second thing. Acceptance doesn't mean approval. Acceptance doesn't mean approval. You may have been accepted or have accepted Christ into your life, but, but you need to understand that he accepted you first, right? He doesn't love you because of who you are. He doesn't love you because of what you have done, but he simply loves you because of who he is. So when I go to the ugly places of Donnie, when I look inside and I see all the kinds of, of nastiness, and I know for some of you that may be very hard to believe because I seem nice and jovial, warm, wise, strong, and intelligent, athletic, tan, kind of like a pro surfer, very humble. I know that's what I seem like to you guys. But what I see is selfishness and disobedience and pride. My list can continue on and on. And I can get very, very specific in each one of those areas. You see, God has chosen to accept us. And it's not because you've never sinned. And it's not because you've changed and you've gotten good enough to earn it. It's simply by his grace alone. But acceptance is very different than approval. See, Jesus accepts us completely, but that doesn't mean he approves of everything that we do. I love in this story. It says anybody who hasn't sinned, you go ahead and line up, right? You, you, take, the first, you take the first throw. And, and of course, we see that every single one of them eventually walks away. You can hear that thud of stones dropping and, and hitting the ground. And what does Jesus do? He gives acceptance, not approval. He didn't approve of what she had done, but he accepted the woman and restored her dignity. See, that's what we need to do with the people around us. You don't have to go around approving everything that everyone does but you do have to accept them because that is a mark of love. And it says in Romans 15, seven, this, that accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. Here's the last thing, is that you will never impact anyone who doesn't feel accepted by you. You will never impact anyone's life if they don't feel accepted by you. You see, we don't know what happened to the woman after her encounter with Jesus. We're going to have to wait till we get to heaven to, to find that out. We don't know if this encounter changed her, her infidelity to devotion. We don't know if her lust turned to, to love. We don't know if her sin turned into a, a sincere desire to know the one who said, I, I don't condemn you. I don't judge you. But what we do know is that throughout history, throughout personal experience, testimony after testimony is that God accepts people where they are and his forgiveness changes people. We're going to talk about that more next week. But when you truly understand that God doesn't want to play the role of judge in your life, he wants to play the role of savior, of, of friend. He wants to forgive you. That's where we find change in our lives. And so how we treat other people absolutely matters and is incredibly important. See, there's Jesus, it's why Jesus said, they'll know that you're Christians 
They'll know that you're followers of me. They'll know that you're, you're my disciples, right? By your, by your bumper stickers. No. By the fish that you have on the back of your car or the cross that you wear around your neck. No. Well, they'll know that you're Christians by your, your character. Mm -mm. Your behavior? No. Well, they'll know that you're Christians by the way that you love me. Not even that. This is what it says in John 13, 35. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, the way you accept, the way that you treat, the way that you love people opens doors for people to be cared about and to see Jesus in you. And for many people in our lives, it is the very first time they have ever seen Jesus in that way. You'll never impact anyone who doesn't feel accepted by you. So here's the deal. Our mission as a church, right? Not, not as an organization, but as a, a group of individuals is to love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And so how do we respond to people who have God's signature all over them? We love people where they are, right? Here, here's the challenge. It's to begin to look at people and when we see them, we see made in God's image. And we say, because of that, they are acceptable. If we did that, imagine what would happen to our relationships. Imagine what would happen to that rude, obnoxious guy at work or, or at school. What would happen in our homes or in our neighborhoods? What would happen with our spouses or, or our children? What would happen if we approached every single relationship and said, God, I'm going to accept them the way that you accepted me? How did Jesus love us where we are? How did he model this for us? He did a couple things. One is he gave up his rights as God. He gave up his rights as God. He, he went to where we were. And the challenge for us is that we have to stop avoiding those people in our lives. We need to spend time in our front yard, not just the backyard, right? So that we can begin to build relationships. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's asking that guy or that girl to work on a project with us or, or to, um, to work on a, on a team with us or an assignment with us. It's figuring out ways to intentionally spend time together with those people. Second thing that Jesus did is he, he gave up his life for ours. He did for us what we couldn't do. See, every single person in your life has a need. The question is, is what, do, what need do they have? What is it that needs to be met in their life? And then the second question is, how can you meet it? What can you do this week to begin to meet that need in their lives? And here's the last thing that Jesus, that we see in Jesus is he always, he always went first. Right? He, he didn't wait till we got our act together. He didn't wait till we were approvable. He chose to love us first. And so what does it mean to, to love people where they are, to love them like Jesus? It's, it's exactly that. We accept them the way that he has accepted us. We love them where they are. We figure out what their needs are and we meet those needs. We're intentional in building into those relationships. Mike said this last week. We never said it's easy, right? There's nothing in here that says it's easy, but it's absolutely possible and has the potential to be a game changer in our lives. So here's the question I wanna leave you with. How can you love this week? How can you love this week in a way that impacts the lives of people and they see Jesus through you, because that's what God has called us to do as individuals and together as a church. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your incredible love for us. God, every single one of us, maybe the, the scenario of the story is different, but every single one of us, Father, deserves to be at your feet, naked, exposed, 
humiliated, humbled because of the sin in our lives, the things that we've done, our past, our history, stuff that we even did today, things that we thought about even as we were driving here or walking into this building. Because God, we're not perfect. Father, I love this incredible story that for each one of us, wherever we are today, that God, you look down on us and you say, no one else judge you? Because I don't either. I'm not condemning you. That's not what I came here to do. I came here to love you, to accept you, to bring you dignity and hope through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so God, I pray that today for those of us that, that maybe for the very first time we're hearing about God's incredible love for us, that it doesn't matter what we did and it doesn't matter how hard we try, we can't earn any of this, that you did it for us. And God, I pray today that that for some, they're just simply in the quiet of their hearts, they just say, God, if this is true, you love me that much, I offer my life to you. I wanna start a relationship with you. Thank you for not judging me, but thank you for loving me the way that you do. Thank you for dying on a cross for my sin. And so for so many of us, as we sit here today, we have this relationship with you, Jesus the way that you loved us unconditionally, and yet our love for others is often very, very conditional. Help us to move past that. Help us to stop living that way and help us to begin to love and accept people that you have brought into our lives. What an incredible opportunity you have given us. Help us to love them the way that you have loved us. And when we're not perfect at it, help us to get back up and and try again. Ask for forgiveness and figure it out and keep loving people the way that you have loved us. Jesus, we thank you and we love you. And it's in your name we pray, amen.